Dave Roberts. That great strike play. Dodgers have won it all in 2020. Well, baseball fans, the baseball season is finally over, and I got to tell you, what I thought was going to be a rousing celebration of the end of the season, Dodgers win the World Series, for those of you that don't know already, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do know that already, but the Dodgers' victory was overshadowed by a positive COVID test, Justin Turner's positive COVID test, and what followed in the postgame. I want to recap the game first before I go into the events of the postgame. So we'll start off top of the first inning. Tony Gonsolin on the mound, one out, nobody on. And here comes Randy Rosarena. It's a really good pitch for Gonsolin against Rosarena. Here's one into right. That ball will carry back at the wall and is gone. Rosarena has put Tampa Bay on top. As he flicks one into the seats and right onto the tarp. And it's one to nothing Tampa Bay as he has his 10th postseason home run. His 10th home run of the postseason puts the Rays up one to nothing in the first. Blake Snell comes out and he is absolutely dealing. The Rays ace strikes out the side in the first inning. He doesn't allow his first hit until the third inning. And through five innings, he's allowed one hit, hasn't walked anybody, and has K'd nine. Now, Tampa Bay's offense wasn't exactly doing much against the Los Angeles bullpen. After Rosarena's homer, the Dodgers pitching staff held Tampa Bay in check. In the second inning, the Rays got a one-out double by Kevin Kiermeyer and a two-out walk by G-Man Choi. Dylan Floro replaced Tony Gonsolin, and Floro got... Randy Rosarena to strike out. In the third inning, the Rays went down 1-2-3 against Alex Wood, and in the fourth inning, the same thing happened. In the fifth inning, Randy Rosarena got a two-out single, but Pedro Baez, who was the pitcher at the time, was replaced by Victor Gonzalez, and Gonzalez got Austin Meadows to ground out to end the frame. Through the first five innings, and this is actually quite remarkable when you think about it, Through the first five innings, which includes Victor Gonzalez's strikeout to end the inning, the Rays had actually struck out ten times as opposed to Blake Snell, who had struck out nine L.A. Dodgers. Actually, I want to go back and make sure that I get this right. It was a ground out to end the inning. So it was nine strikeouts for Snell and nine strikeouts for five Dodger pitchers. We now go to the bottom of the sixth inning, which is where the story of this game is going to be told. Blake Snell is cruising. He allows a one-out single to Austin Barnes. That was his 73rd pitch, and he gets pulled for Nick Anderson. A lot of people are questioning this move, and it's going to be, at least on the baseball side of things, what is going to be talked about for a lot of the offseason in the Rays' lexicon. Analytics are what got Tampa Bay to this point. Kevin Cash is really the first manager that started the massive bullpenning trend, the trend of the opener. Everything that he does is based on analytics and statistics that back up every decision. There is a notion in Major League Baseball that now, once a starter gets to the third time through the order, you have to pull him. 
that was the curse of Dave Roberts for years, especially when it came to Rich Hill pitching in the playoffs in 2017 and 2018. People got on Dave Roberts for that, and deservedly so. But there is some truth to the third time through the order. However, here is where it does not make sense, at least in my opinion. And this was pointed out on the broadcast. It was pointed out on Twitter. It was pointed out by anybody that had been paying attention. The top three in the Dodger order, who were the three that were due up after Austin Barnes singled with one out, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Justin Turner. In their first two at-bats each, they were all 0 for 2 with two strikeouts apiece. So the top third of the Dodger order was 0 for 6 with six strikeouts against Blake Snell. So Kevin Cash goes out and he pulls him. And he pulls him in favor of Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson, who has given up a run in five straight appearances instead of going to Diego Castillo, who's got the best breaking stuff of anybody out of your bullpen, instead of going to Peter Fairbanks, who can crank it up to 100 miles an hour, instead of going to Aaron Loop, who could be dangerous against Corey Seager and be able to bust it inside on Mookie Betts and Justin Turner. By the way, Mookie Betts hit worse against lefties this year than he did against righties. I don't have the exact numbers, but Mookie Betts was a whole hell of a lot better against righties than it was against lefties as a right-handed hitter. And yet Kevin Cash decides after 73 pitches, two hits and nine strikeouts that Blake Snell is done because the analytics tell him that he's done. That's why he got pulled. And guess what? It did not work. Mookie Betts hits a ringing double down the left field line against Nick Anderson. Barnes goes to third. Then we're going to play you the sequence of plays that occurred that gave the Dodgers the lead. Here they are. And this one gets by Zunino. Tie game. Here's a play at the plate. Throw home too late. Dodgers lead. Bet scores. So with Corey Seager at the plate, a wild pitch by Anderson, scored Barnes, moved Betts to third. Then with the infield in, Corey Seager grounded to first. G-Man Choi charged. Betts was off on contact. Throw home, not in time. Dodgers lead 2-1. to one. And from there, the Los Angeles bullpen just continued to dominate the Tampa Bay Rays. Top of the seventh, Bruzdar Gratterall comes in, gets the first two guys to ground out, Willie Adamas and Kevin Kiermeyer. Then Mike Zanino singles. Julio Urias comes in to replace Gratterall. Yandy Diaz pinch hits for G-Man Choi, and he's called out on strikes. Peter Fairbanks comes in. He works around a leadoff double by Will Smith, but bottom eight, score still remains at 2-1. to one. Mookie Betts leads off the inning. High fly ball, left center. Back at the wall, and it's Betts. So Betts' is home run, his Second of the series makes it a 3-1 ball game. That's really all that Los Angeles needed. Urias had pitched a near-perfect eighth inning, top of the ninth. Margot flies out, Mike Brasso strikes out, and Willie Adama strikes out, and that's the ball game. Dodgers win 3-1, they win the series four games to two, and they win their first World Series since 1988. Victor Gonzalez gets the win. He goes an inning and a third out of the L.A. bullpen. No hits, 
no walks, three strikeouts. Nick Anderson, the loss, third of an inning, one hit, one run, no walks, and no strikeouts. Julio Urias picks up the save, two and a third innings, no hits, no walks, and four strikeouts. Los Angeles pitching had 16 strikeouts to just two walks, both walks coming from the starter, Tony Gonsolin. Blake Snell, five and a third innings, one run on two hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts for him. Each team had just five hits in the game. Mookie Betts had two hits for L.A. Randy Rosarena had two hits for Tampa Bay. Corey Seager won the World Series MVP. He's the first player to win the LCS and World Series MVP in the same postseason since Madison Bumgarner did it in 2014. Others of note to do it. David Freeze for the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals. Cole Hamels for the 2008 Philadelphia Phillies. Levon Hernandez for the 1997 Florida Marlins. And before that, Oral Hershiser of the 1988 LA Dodgers, the last Dodger team to win the World Series. The Bellingers are the eighth father-son duo to both win a World Series as players. The others here include Ray and Bob Boone, Pedro Borbone Sr. and Jr., Sal and Drew Butera, Dave and Chris Duncan, Jim and Mike Hegan, Julian and Stan Javier, and Ed and Scott Spezio. Teams in the divisional era to win a World Series with three former MVPs on the roster, there are just two of them, the 2020 Dodgers, who have Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, and Clayton Kershaw, the other, the 1976 Reds. Julio Arias is the second pitcher in postseason history to finish two series-clinching wins in a single postseason by throwing two or more innings and not allowing a base runner in both. The only other to do that, Bruce Suter in 1982. By the way, I want to correct one thing I said about Nick Anderson earlier. Anderson has allowed one run in seven straight relief appearance, which is the longest streak in postseason history, which includes streaks that span different postseasons. One note about Randy Arozarena. He finishes this postseason with the all-time single postseason record in hits, homers, and total bases. His 10 career postseason home runs, which are all this season, are the most by any Rays player in a postseason career. That's right. No Ray in their entire Ray career has ever had 10 postseason homers. Now, the Rays have not been in the playoffs that much. Their only other World Series appearance came in 2008. So the guy that made the most sense to be on top of this list was Evan Longoria, but now it is indeed Randy Arozarena, and I am really excited to see what this guy is going to end up doing because I think he has a chance to be a superstar. Here's something really awesome from Sarah Langs, and this just proves how consistent the Dodgers' regular season success has been. Clayton Kershaw's 19 postseason series prior to this World Series is the most of anyone before winning their first title. The second most... Kenley Jansen with 16, tied for third with 14 postseason series before winning their first World Series, Justin Turner, Carlos Beltran, and Manny Ramirez. So three of those guys on the current Dodger roster. The Dodgers had the best regular season record in Major League Baseball this season, granted a 60-game season, but still the best record. 
They are just the seventh of 26 World Series winners in the wild card era that had the best record in Major League Baseball. The others, the 2018 Red Sox, the 2016 Cubs, the 2013 Red Sox, the 2009 Yankees, the 2007 Red Sox, and the 1998 Yankees. So they are just the second National League team to do so. Couple more stats before we get into really the more pressing issue here. This postseason, teams went 35 and 5 in games where they out homered their opponent. The Dodgers only hit one homer in this game. The Rays hit one homer, so that is a tie. The Rays scored 67.1% of their runs via the home run this postseason. It's the highest rate for a team in a single postseason with a minimum of 10 games. Previous high was the Indians of 1998, who had 63.2% of their runs score on homers. The Dodgers scored 58.4% of their runs this postseason with two outs, which is the third highest in a single postseason. The other two that have higher totals, the 1992 Braves and the 2008 Red Sox. Although I'm not sure about the 08 Red Sox because I don't remember them winning a series. So if it's a minimum of 10 games, I'm going to have to look it up here real quick because I believe they lost to the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League Championship Series because I know that the Rays beat the White Sox in the first round of that series. So we are checking the playoff standings here. Yes, they did indeed lose to the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League Championship Series. So my big thanks to Sarah Langs, who she just was awesome. This entire postseason, she is an absolutely amazing statistician. Go follow her at Slangs on Sports to get a sense of how good she is at her job. Now I want to go to what is the most pressing issue of the moment. Justin Turner was pulled before the top of the eighth inning. Edwin Rios came in for him at third base. Nobody knew why at the time that he was pulled from the game because Justin Turner plays a great defensive third base. There's no reason why you would put Edwin Rios, who is more of a first baseman, in in that scenario, especially with Turner's spot in the lineup coming up very shortly in the bottom of the eighth inning. After the Dodgers clinch and they start celebrating on the field, before they go to the trophy presentation, and the trophy presentation, by the way, was quite something because uh, did you guys watch Rob Manfred? I mean, I understand that he may have had the PA echoing in his earpiece that he was getting directives from both the PA crew and the television truck, but he sounded like he had had a few too many to drink. I mean, go back and listen to that clip. Actually, you know what? We're going to put that clip in here right now. You be the judge. Corey, you thrilled our fans throughout the postseason with a great performance. You led the Dodgers to a World Series victory, and it's my pleasure to recognize your great play with the Willie Mays Most Valuable Player Award presented by Chevrolet. You can say the echo in the earpiece, but he certainly sounded like he had had a couple of beers, but he was certainly rattled when everybody was booing him. 
And our issues with Rob Manfred are going to come up on a different podcast as we cruise into the offseason. But after a commercial break and before the trophy presentation, we go to the Fox studio where Kevin Burkhart, the studio host, says that Justin Turner was pulled from the game because he tested positive for COVID. Here are two Jeff Passan tweets that lay out the timeline, and I want you to pay attention to this because it's very important to compartmentalize the timeline of what happened. In the second inning tonight, per Passan, the lab doing COVID tests informed MLB that Justin Turner's test from yesterday, being, as you're listening to this on a Wednesday morning, his test from Monday, came back inconclusive. The samples from today, which is Tuesday, had arrived and were run. They showed up positive. As soon as that positive test was indicated, the league called the Dodgers and said to pull Turner. The second tweet, when the Dodgers return to their hotel tonight, everybody will be given a rapid PCR test. On the field right now as they celebrate, the Dodgers are wearing masks. Unclear as to whether they'll stay in Dallas before traveling back to Los Angeles, situation is fluid right now. So that's the timeline. There are many questions that have to be asked at this point. The first question is, did they actually know about the inconclusive test in the second inning or did they know about it before? Is that just what we're being spun by Major League Baseball PR? Secondly, inconclusive tests from what I've read normally mean positive. It means not negative. So, If the tests are inconclusive, then why wasn't Turner pulled then? Why didn't Turner leave the facility? Why didn't he isolate? Apparently, he was isolating after he got pulled from the game before the top of the eighth inning. Now, I will say this before I go into what I think is going to be one of my best rants on this podcast in quite some time. I have tried to keep it less opinionated and less ranty because obviously the people that write the reviews on this show clearly don't like that. If you're watching the World Series and you're watching the Dodger dugout, who's wearing masks in there? Who's got them on besides the coaches? I don't see any players with masks on. I don't see anybody with masks on. None of the pitchers that aren't pitching that day, none of the bench players, none of the starters, nobody. There are no masks in the Dodger dugout, which means that Justin Turner has literally exposed his entire team to coronavirus in between innings. And subsequently, anybody that crossed his path at third base, whether that be a coach, a staff member, a member of the Rays, they too came into contact with Turner. So Turner's not wearing a mask. They're not social distancing in the dugout. He is positive before that game even starts. And he's prancing around the dugout, doing all of the baseball player things, all the celebratory stuff that players do when they're in the dugout in a Major League Baseball game. So the Dodgers are on the field, some of them wearing masks, some of them are not wearing masks. I want to make that clear. Not everybody was wearing a mask as they were celebrating. But how would that have made a difference anyway? You would have been exposed hours ago. So they go to take the team photo. And guess who's back out on the field? Justin Turner. And guess who took his mask off while on the field? Justin Turner. And guess what Justin Turner did? He kissed his wife. He gave his wife a kiss on the lips while being 
positive for COVID. I am sorry. Are you that stupid? Are you that dumb? Do you care that little about the people around you? Mr. Big Red, oh, I'm Justin Turner. I got the adorable red beard. Everybody loves me. Why is he out there? Teammates are giving the excuse that they didn't want him to miss out on the celebration? They didn't want him left out because he's a part of the team? The dude has the virus. He is the only player that has tested positive inside Major League Baseball's quasi-bubble. He has to isolate. He needs to get the F away from everybody on that field. And who knows how many other players on the Dodgers are positive at that time or how many will become positive over the course of the next few days. It is absolutely reckless and irresponsible of Justin Turner and the Dodgers to let that happen. Why was he still at the facility? Why didn't he leave? Why wasn't he put in isolation immediately? Rob Manfred said that Turner was immediately isolated to prevent the spread. So why was he back out of the dugout on the field? Why are you ignoring your own protocols? Why do I have to ask these questions? This is a complete failure in leadership from Rob Manfred to Andrew Friedman to Dave Roberts to every single player on that Dodgers roster. If you wanted a reason to hate the Dodgers more than you already do, whether you be a San Francisco Giants fan or somebody that hates the team that has the highest payroll in baseball, you just got it. We're going to find out in the coming days how many more Dodgers test positive. Here's a great hypothetical for you. When Turner was pulled, it was a 2-1 lead for the Dodgers. What would have happened if the Tampa Bay Rays had won to force a Game 7? When would Game 7 have occurred? It may not have been for another week. You may not have played Game 7 until the second week of November because you don't know how many players were exposed. And you would have to go through the incubation time period to find out exactly how many players test positive before you can clear the rest of the team that is negative and get them back out on the field. You may have had a decimated Dodger roster if the Rays had won game six. You could have had 10 different players be swapped out for game seven simply because all of those players were exposed. It's a moot point now, but let me bring up another hypothetical, or rather another scenario to ponder. Why was Justin Turner's COVID test from Monday not returned, at least the results returned, until the second inning on Tuesday? Why did Turner get to play almost a full baseball game before it was determined that he was positive? If Turner's positive test had been revealed prior to the game starting, would the game have even been played? Would you have actually played that baseball game if you knew that Justin Turner was positive? Would Major League Baseball have concealed a positive test to make sure that Game 6 and potentially Game 7 played without delay? I don't put that past Rob Manfred. Would you? Do you trust him? I certainly don't. 
And we now pretty much know that we don't trust the Los Angeles Dodgers in terms of anything that they do in regards to health and safety protocols. I don't get why mask wearing in the dugout was not strictly enforced throughout the year. Wear your mask when you're in the dugout. Wear your mask when you're in the dugout. Wear your mask when you're in the dugout. It's not that hard. Guess what? You can talk to somebody without having to take off your mask. I do it all the time. I just did a 90-minute job interview with my mask on the whole time. It's not that hard. By Justin Turner coming back out onto that baseball field and celebrating with his teammates without a mask on, it shows how reckless he is, how reckless his teammates are, how reckless and ignorant the organization is, and how laissez-faire they treated the health and safety protocols regarding COVID-19. We're going to get a lot of positive tests from the L.A. Dodgers over the next couple of days. And if we don't, I fully believe that the Dodgers are concealing them, that Major League Baseball is concealing those positive tests. If you somehow believe that Turner is going to be the only positive, given how the players behaved in the dugout, given how close in proximity they are, and the fact that basically none of them in the dugout were wearing masks, then you are not putting the pieces of the puzzle together. I certainly did not think this was the show I was going to be doing after the final baseball game of the 2020 season. But what it does is it underscores the point that COVID-19 has not all of a sudden departed the baseball world. In fact, it could play a big part of how Major League Baseball functions in 2021. My closing point is this. Before this World Series started, I thought that Major League Baseball was closer to returning to normal than not. Now, I feel like we've got a long way to go before Major League Baseball is back on track to where it was pre-pandemic. We will monitor the Dodgers' COVID situation and give updates on future episodes. Yet to be determined what our recording schedule is going to be moving forward. I will try to have some season in review episodes out for you, but no guarantees on that as of yet. But for now, be safe, wear your mask. The 2020 baseball season is over, and the Los Angeles Dodgers are World Series champions for the first time since 1988. Whether we should celebrate them, though, right now is yet to be determined. Enjoy the rest of the day, and as always, Black Lives Matter.